we have been doing a series on how we can know the will of God. We're going to continue with that today, and we're going to uh, combine it with communion um, at the end of the sermon. So you can turn, you've got your fingers in your Bible, you can keep it in Matthew chapter 8 if you've got that, then turn to uh, get your other marker. You've got place markers if you're using a phone. Otherwise, if you're using a real Bible, you can put a ribbon in it. And uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians 11, which is, of course, Paul's communion passage, and put another place marker in Exodus chapter 12. And then we can go to Psalm 105, put another one in Isaiah 53. Then I want to go to Deuteronomy 12. No, just joking. <laughs> those, those three will get you there. All right, they'll get you there. Uh, we, have, uh, we had Reverend Cole, who was on our board, uh, speaking last week. He did a really great job, and uh, he basically laid out to us that if you're born again, you are already in God's will. And, uh, but today we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to look at communion, and we're going to talk about more some of the more things that God has for us as we grow in His will, and in particular, how to know in some areas what is God's will and what is not God's will. And I'm going to put it this way, in the life of Christ, because you, we've all heard those saying, what would Jesus do? Uh, and there's also the question that we need to ask is, what did Jesus do? And so with that, I mean, is there's an element of knowing God's will to know what Jesus did for us as a substitute and what Jesus did for us as an example. So some things in Jesus' life, in fact, everything one way or another, was an example for us. And, and we, and, uh, and, but other things were a substitute. So there's things that he did for us that he does not expect us to do. In fact, we were unable to do. A lot of religious teaching and religious thought will have to get you to thinking, Jesus suffered this so I need to suffer like that. The only suffering that Jesus did that we need to suffer was one, the critique of, of man, and two, putting down the flesh, putting down our own will, putting down our own fleshly nature. Uh, the week before last, we were in Coffs Harbour. Linda and I had a week in Coffs Harbour with our family that were up from Canberra, and my eldest grandchild, her name's Adelaide, she's, I think, two going on three, uh, we went to the Big Banana. Now, do you, does anyone remember the Big Banana? Have you noticed? I know I said this last week, and, and now that we're on video every service, I've been warned I can't use the same jokes every service. But have you ever noticed this shrinking Big Banana? Uh, the Big Banana is shrinking. I, I'm sure it is, because when it came out in the 60s, I remember it. Some of us remember the 60s. Is there anyone else here that remembers the 60s? Thank you, thank you. Wow, I'm in good company, aren't I? Uh, and it was huge back then, and it just seems to have shrunk over the years as I've got older and older. The, the big banana's now just the modestly sized banana. And uh, I was teasing my daughter, saying, we're going to visit the modestly sized banana. But on, there's a slide, there's one of those toboggan slides, and so I said to uh, Adelaide, who's, I think, turning three, I said, well, do you want to go down the slide with Pa? She goes, yeah, 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 yeah. So the first time we go down with it, 
uh, I, I'm, I'm saying to her, do you want to go faster? And she had a little, a little lever. I said, do you want to go faster? She's going slower. So I said, well, okay, pull it back for slower. Every corner is slower, slower, slower. And then she went on with her own dad, who doesn't show her as much grace, <laughs> the speed in which she's to go down this bobsled. And so he's going, he didn't even ask her. He just went full on, and she's going, I think she's panicking first couple of corners, but then she's like, wow, this is fantastic. So I then she gets off and I said, do you want to go with par again? She goes, yes. And, and now every corner we go to, I'm starting to go, do you want to go slower or faster? She's going faster, faster. Every corner was faster, faster. And we hit the last corner, which those of you who have been on it would know, there's a sign for the wise that says, says slow down, last corner. Uh, and I said to her, do you want to go faster or slower? She goes faster. And being the foolish grandfather that I am, I let her have her will. And we went faster and we started to tip. And I was faced with, um, with uh, the decision, uh, will I sacrifice my grandchild? <laughs> or will I go over myself? And then there's this always momentary decision that maybe if we sort of tilt and I can, we can, you know, I can hit the side and bounce back, but she might fall off. So pa took one for the team. And I, I just had a short sleeve shirt like this, and, and I noticed that, that my, my, my daughter over there was laughing at me at the bottom, and my wife was laughing at me taking photos. But I, I took one for the team, and I leaned over onto the slide, and I braked on my elbow, and you can just see it there. And I was really tempted to allow her to have a lesson. You know, you have these opportunities to teach your children lessons about not necessarily going faster. But without being too much of a hero, because I just, you know, I sort of, well, how embarrassed would I be if I actually used her as a break? <laughs> I mean, she had long sleeves on. She could take it. Yeah. Should I use her? Or should I be a substitute? And so I became, so I suffered. It's just, I was trying to think of a more, more uh, heroic uh, example than this. And, but I became a substitute for her, and hopefully she learned a lesson, and I certainly learned a lesson. Uh, so there's some things that Jesus did for us that, are, that he suffered for us, and, and as our substitute. And it's never God's will for us to suffer what he suffered for us as a substitute. Not his perfect will. There are some things which we just unfortunately have to suffer because we just we need to learn and, and we're suffering the consequences of, of not walking in his word and, and not being obedient. But the substitution that Jesus did for us was so that we would not have to do that. And we're all aware, of course, I trust we're aware, that the consequences, the eternal consequences of sin... We know that where God doesn't intend for us to suffer those because he suffered for us, all right? So uh, in, in Matthew chapter 8, we have uh, a wonderful example of Jesus ministering healing. We only read that there's actually three. I think there's a centurion that comes there. 
and uh, in between what we read about the leper and then we read about Peter's mother and there's a few things I'd like to point out there uh, before we go on. But the first thing is, it's interesting that the leper um, asked Jesus if you are willing. He didn't ask Jesus if you are able. And one of the things that we need to learn is that what is God willing to do? Because we have a God who is able, don't we? He's able, you know, he's able, he's able. I'm Cain, he's able. He's able, but is he willing? And in the Old Testament, some of them had an issue about whether God's able or not, you know. Uh, And it's interesting when we look at uh, the life of Abraham and Sarah, and we look at it in Hebrews... Uh, Sarah wanted to know if God would be faithful. It says in Hebrews, she grew strong in faith. She judged him faithful. Abraham, being a man, wanted to know if God was able. Because who knows that women are about relationships. Men are about ability. You know, we all know, guys, the answer to every problem is more power more of it, more strength, a bigger engine, more cubes, fast, more torque. That solves everything, all right? But the fact is, but women always look for the relationship. And so Abraham's answer to his faith question was, is God able? Sarah's was, is God faithful? You can read that in Hebrews 11 and Romans chapter 4. But it's also interesting. It never, the New Testament never tells us to have more faith, which is interesting, because faith uh, is treated, uh, there's many types of faith, there's weak faith, feigning faith, shipwrecked faith, ever-increasing faith, Abraham grew strong in faith, so there's strong faith, there's overcoming faith, I think I counted over a dozen different types of descriptors of faith, but never does it say, get more faith. Because they understood that faith comes when you have a revelation of the knowledge of the will of God. If we know God and know how much he loves us and know his will for us, then we have faith. And that's all really that faith is. Faith is actually a knowledge problem. Uh, it, it, It says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And so it's not a matter of beating the, the faith. I've got to get more faith. I've got to get more faith. No, find out who God is. Find out how much God loves you. Find out that God's not mad, of, mad at you. Find out what his will is and faith comes. It's not something you've got to work up. Now, in this situation, it's interesting that the, the, um, the leper asks, if it's your will... You can heal me. Of course, the leper had grown up under the law, and he was used to being judged. He was used to being condemned. And, and he just needed to know that Jesus would love on him. Love, the love of God it shed abroad in our heart, is the greatest cure for lack of faith. When you know how much your Papa God loves you, you can believe him for it. And so the, uh, the, the leper had, this, had to have this revelation of 
the love of the love of God. And it is interesting. I find it interesting that that Jesus reached out and uh, reached out and finding the nearest guy <laughs> reached out and touched the leper in direct contradiction to his obligation under the law. Because with works, with law, you understand, uh, it, it, you get dirty touching something that is dirty. With grace, when you touch something that is dirty, it becomes clean. So our family is sanctified because we have faith and we have exercised faith in our family and the blessing of God's upon it. And then, and then it goes on and it talks, Peter goes into Peter's house and it says he cured, uh, he cured all that were sick, he healed all that were sick, and then there's a whole list of them uh, after that in, in Matthew chapter 8. But then Matthew, who we know is one of, one of the disciples, Matthew says this verse. He says, this was to fulfill, and I'm, it's, he's quoting from Isaiah 53, but I always forget which part of Isaiah 53 he quotes from. This is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said. He himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. Now that word fulfill, it's got a few different meanings. It can mean complete so that it's all done, but it also means to demonstrate so Matthew is saying, God's saying through Matthew, that this demonstrated that prophecy. Matthew, most of us know, is writing largely to the Jews. There's a presumed knowledge, and we'll look at this later, that you'll know where he's referring it to and what that means. In first century Judaism, they, they believed that Isaiah chapter 3 was talking about the Messiah. And Matthew says this demonstrated what that passage meant. Now we know that if Papa takes a slide and burns his elbow, that's because Adelaide don't have to. And so Matthew says, this demonstrates that he himself took our infirmities and carried our diseases. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 11, and this is where Paul, there's a really, this is a, a little bit hard passage to read and understand some parts of it, but we're familiar with it. I like to read this every day as I have communion, and, uh, and there's, a, there's a little bit that comes towards the end of it that we'll just dissect a bit to try and understand he says, verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, you understand that the uh, children of Israel will set up remembrances, and communion is a fulfillment of the first Passover, which was set up as a remembrance for what God did bringing them out of Egypt. He says, now do this as remembrance for what I'm about to do for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord 
until his coming. So he set this up to have meaning. It wasn't supposed to be something we just do from religious reasons. It had meaning. And there's power in this symbol, not because it's bread or wine, but because it's a point of contact for our faith to say, this is what Jesus did for me. This is the substitution that he made so I won't have to do that. This is him taking shame so I could walk righteously before God. This is him being separated from the Father so the Bible says I can come boldly, boldly into his presence through the blood. He took rejection, the Bible says, he became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We don't have to suffer what Jesus suffered for us. We don't have to suffer the shame of guilt or sin because he suffered the shame of guilt and sin. We don't have to suffer uh, the curse of death because he suffered the curse of death. But then it does something interesting. It talks something interesting here because we're talking about, again, knowing the will of God. And, and what I'm putting to you is that what he, substitute, he did for us by way of substitution, it is not his will for us to suffer those things. And then Paul goes on and he says this, he says they were, uh, it's a little bit hard to understand and just understand this. What, what was happening is that they were, they, were, they were having communion, but the Corinthian church was very, very carnal. Nothing like what we are. <laughs> it was, it's just carnal in different ways. Yeah. Every, every generation's carnality is socially acceptable. You understand that? All right. And Christians have socially acceptable carnality. But their socially acceptable thing is that they had people that were very well off and they'd have a big feast and they'd call that communion. And then the people that weren't well off were, didn't have, a, and they'd just be eating their little bit of stale bread. And, and, and Paul said to them, you've missed the point of communion. And because you haven't esteemed it, because you haven't understood what it's about, and because you haven't esteemed it, that you're missing the blessings that come with it. And it's interesting, keep in mind with what Matthew said about the substitution of Jesus Christ. He himself bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. Isaiah 53 says, after that, he went on to say, and by his stripes we, were, we are healed. Isaiah 53 says, are healed. He goes on to say, he said, um, whoever, verse 27, eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body of the blood of the Lord. That sounds very religious. It sounds like you have to, and who's probably felt this, I, 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 I feel ashamed to take communion because I know I've been a bad boy or a bad girl. Or I haven't been walking the way I should. And my father was like that. My father wouldn't take communion for years because he knew he had failings. And he read this and he thought that that was judging himself. But the, the thing about communion, guys... As if, if you know you're unworthy, you qualify for it. That's the irony of grace. 
If you think you don't deserve it, you've just qualified to take communion. You judge the body wrongly if you think you have to. I deserve this now. The Bible calls that in Galatians falling from grace. Falling from grace is thinking I deserve to take communion. Judging it properly is realizing that I could never deserve to. But he, but what did he do for me? And he says this. He says this very interesting. Goes on to say, you must examine yourself and then eat and drink that cup, knowing the honor and the privilege and the. Um, that's Grant Peterson's paraphrase translation. A few words added in there. He said, examine yourself, and in so doing, you eat the bread and drink the cup. And if you judge yourself. And you don't judge this body rightly, all right? So you judge yourself to say, I could never earn or deserve this. But this is my source. What Jesus did for me is my provision. How he substituted, he, he, took, the, he took the building for me. He took the shame for me. And he says this, he goes on to say, if you don't judge it rightly, um, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and some have died early. Well, that's interesting. And, and I think, you know, we're all, we, we tend to be comfortable with this understanding that, sure, I, I, and, and we tend to, uh, you know, sure, he took my guilt, he took my shame. But the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, Paul says, when we take communion today, He's interested in every area of our life. He's interested in wholeness. He's interested in wellness. He's interested in joy. He's interested in your health. He's interested in your provision. And if we don't judge it rightly, if we don't receive that when we take that, we'll miss out on some of what he has for us. And he's saying to us, as you take communion today, the Holy Spirit's saying, don't miss out on the fullness of what God has for you in this. Receive the need that you have. If you have need for forgiveness, receive it. If you have need for provision, receive it. If you have need for restoration, receive it. If you have need for healing, receive it. Now this call back to, uh, so flip over to, uh, to Exodus 28. You understand uh, that the Bible deals with, uh, Exodus 12, sorry. The Bible deals with types, types and shadows. And, uh, <laughs> and what they call anti-types or the actual thing. Now, the type tells you something about the real thing. Just like my shadow tells us something about what I look like. And that's, you know, you ever played those shadows where you're trying to make little shadows? We can fold it a little bit. But basically, you know, this type and shadow that we see in the Old Testament was a type of what was meant to be for us. And so the children of Israel, they were in slavery for 430 years. 
and they had worked out in the field, their value in life had come from how much they, they could produce, how good they could be. And who knows that a lot of our growing up and a lot of our life experiences is we, we, we take value from how others judge us. That's a rhetorical question, but I'm putting my hand up. The Bible calls that the fear of man. You know what mum and dad thought of us, what our friends think, what people think of us, and somehow that reflects our value. Galatians says the fear of man is a work of the law. But for 400 years, they'd had this, how many bricks they could make, judge their value. And God was bringing about a totally different dynamic here, a new covenant where your value is not going to be, be, be judged on how you perform. Your value is going to be judged on what the Lamb of God is going to do for you. And so he implements this in, in Exodus chapter 12, the first Passover, Verse 3 says, speak to all the congregation. He sets up the Passover. He says, on the 10th of this month, every family is to choose a lamb. That's verse 3. If you can't afford a lamb, get the households together and get a lamb. And the lamb's to be perfect and unblemished. And then you keep it for four days before the sacrifice. And we know the story. It says, because he's setting up this institution for the children of Israel to follow for the next few thousand years. Uh, until Jesus himself came. I'm sure those birds need to be sanctified. Some of them are trying. I believe one of them took some of that communion bread. All right? And I hope he judged it wisely. (laughs) I hope he judged it wisely. But he says here, take it, and, and, and it talks about the perfect lamb. Well, who's the perfect lamb the picture of? Jesus. And he says, take it, and he put... Put the, put the blood over the signpost, uh, over the, sorry, the, the doorpost of your house. And so when, the angel, when, when he come, when God passes judgment on Egypt, you won't be judged. Who knows that a righteous God must judge sin? A righteous God must judge sin. And, and one of the things that atheists, and when they go on about it, how can so-and-so, how can Hitler get into heaven or whatever... Well, a righteous God judges sin. And we either accept his judgment, which is on Christ, or we go on our own. Mercy. <laughs> we just thought mercy. Okay. And he's saying here, he's saying, take that blood, apply it to the door. He said, and then every, when, when, he said, when I come down and pass judgment on Egypt, you're going to be judged as being already judged. It's interesting, it says when I come down, but if you look across, if you look across in verse 23, and you can take my word for it if you don't want to go there, it says, the Lord passed through, he smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to destroy them. Let's not get confused about who does the killing, the stealing, and the destroying. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the thing with judgment that comes upon the earth, it's Satan that exercises it, because Satan just wants to go around killing and destroying. God doesn't put cancer on anyone. God doesn't put shame or guilt on anyone. God doesn't put lack on anyone. 
But the thief will try and take your life and he'll try and get you thinking that you have to deserve the blessing of God. If he gets you thinking you've got to deserve the blessing of God, here, I'm a reluctant prayer. I have to confess this for you. I don't mind asking this rhetorical question. Put your hand up if you want to. Are there any other reluctant prayers around here? Yeah, because I just like to organize it and do it myself. I kind of think that God needs a hand. That's an ungrace. Because spending time on my knees praying, even though I'm busy, is me saying to God, I'm not able, you're able. But here in this situation, uh, the, the, the destroyer, the angel of death, passed through Egypt. And when he saw the blood, you know the blood of that lamb had no power. The blood had power because it pointed to the sacrifice that Jesus was going to make. There is nothing we can receive or get from God except through the grace of what Jesus has done for us. But there's something I love here, what it says. It says in verse um, verse 11, it says, you'll, you'll eat it in this manner. Now, he says, before you eat it, you gird your loins. In other words, get ready for the escape. He said, because that angel of death comes... You're going to want to get out of there. Who wants to move on from their former life? Who wants to move on from the oppression of the devil? Who wants to move on from sickness? Move on for uh, a defeat? Move on for, for hurt? Gird your loins. Gird your loins. We're about to take communion. It says in 1 Corinthians 11 to judge it rightly. And one of it was get ready. And it just wasn't the happy, healthy people. God, I can, I can understand Bob, 28, fit, going out there, working in the field, suntans, biceps flexing, you know, a lot like present company excluded. But, but he, I can understand him getting ready for the great escape. But it wasn't just for Bob. What about Aunt Mary? What about Aunt Mary? And you've been working all your life out in the field, sleeping in the field, getting... Getting bashed. What, how good is it going to be for Aunt Mary? Was Aunt Mary to gird herself? She was bashed. She had that broken hip. She can barely walk now. But Aunt Mary, if she believed the promise of God, she got herself ready. I don't know how I'm going to walk out of here, says Aunt Mary. But I'm going to gird myself and I'm going to get ready to go. You may think you're inadequate. You may think... You know, the problems facing you, the physical problems. Gird yourself. Get ready. What about Uncle Bob? Uncle Bob had that stroke 10 years ago. How's he going to walk out of here? I don't know. Is it going to be in his strength or is it going to be in the strength of the blood of the Lamb? We're going to take communion in a minute and we're going to understand that he became weak so that we could become strong. And they girded their loins. They got ready. Paul said, Paul, can you just give me a couple more minutes, guys? I'll thank you very much. Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul said, don't do this unprepared. Don't do this unprepared. Don't, don't take this communion thinking you can earn it. Take this communion realizing that when you eat that bread, it's because Jesus' body was broken for you. When you drink that wine, you think, I have access, bold, 
unfettered access to go before the throne of grace and receive mercy. Receive mercy. And take that. Take that. Like little Abigail, my granddaughter, she's there. She's laughing away. She's going down the back corner and I'm going. (laughs) He took for us so that we could live in victory. Psalm 105 says this. They walked out of Egypt. Not one weak or feeble one amongst them. Now, I don't know how literal that is, but I just tend to believe the Bible. You know, I I think that's a good sort of default base, don't you? (laughs) You know, if you're not sure, just believe it. Just take it on surface value. A couple of million people walked out of Egypt, not one week and Something happened when they ate that lamb. When they broke that bread. He said, don't don't wait for it. You don't have time for it to rise. You take it unleavened. It's not going to be your works that does this. You take this bread now and you thank God. God for what he did for you and you receive it for what he did for you turn last thing we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 3 because Matthew's Isaiah 53 Matthew says that he healed Peter's mum and all the others around them for this fulfillment to fulfill what Jesus had done for them and We all deal with guilt. We all deal with shame. We all deal with sickness. We all deal with infirmity. He bore those things on the cross for us. We can, if we're willing now, to believe it. Isaiah 53 is bold. Are you ready for it? It's bold. And don't think this is just because Peter himself, in 2 Peter 2, I think, he quoted this same thing. Isaiah 53. Verse 4, surely our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried. We, was, we esteemed ourselves stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastised for our well-being. And by his stripes we are healed. There's healing in this bread. There's victory in this. You guys think you can get up and I'm going to tell you this story, the story just before we take communion. A few years ago, a lady walked into our church and, and uh, a lady and a husband and she had had, we, we didn't know what was wrong with her, but uh, we saw her coming in and she walked as though she had palsy and, uh, you know, just it was very uncoordinated, limbs throwing everywhere. And um, uh, I said to Linda, let's spend some time with them after the, after the service. And so we started to chat with them. And, uh, and they talked about, she believed that God's a healing God. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. Who, who believes that God is able to heal? Now we have to believe. On what basis can we ask for it? And does he want to heal us? So we went around, we had lunch with them after, the, and, and, and the story was is that as a child, she would chew on the paint in their house. They lived down near Coolangatta and chew on the paint of their house. And the paint was one of those old houses with lead poisoning, with lead. And so she chewed on it, and, and some years before that, the lead had passed in, into her brain. 
And so she'd have these regular episodes of always suffering to a degree, but regularly she would just, because it's, you know that it's not fixable. You understand? Once it goes in there, it can't go back the other way. And, and so she would have this. And we went through and we asked ourselves, because we know the Bible says, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We often look for like that. that that's a gift of healing. We're talking about recovering. We're talking about getting better. And so we sat down, we went through the scriptures, and she had a few things that she believed God wanted to heal us. But then she said, well, what about Paul's thorn? And that we had to talk about all those things and whether it was sickness or not. And then we prayed with her. And then she prayed, uh, uh, Linda prayed, and Linda prayed uh, this verse, but from 2 Peter. You understand that in Isaiah, it's, it's present tense. It says, by his stripes we are healed. When Peter quotes it, he says, by his stripes we were healed. Do you know we were forgiven on the cross of Calvary? So Linda prayed, uh, I'm shortening the story for the sake of time, two minutes over. Linda prayed with her and Linda prayed, uh, prayed a healing prayer and then she said, and by his stripes, thank you that by his stripes we were healed and she stopped us. She said, well, doesn't the scripture say, by his stripes you are healed? And we said, no, we're talking about this side of the cross. Because this side of the cross in the New Testament, it says, by his stripes we were healed. I sat down with someone a few months ago with stage four cancer, and we went through that. And a month later, totally healed. Stage four cancer, prostate cancer. Totally gone. The prostate cancer came. They're, the lymph nodes are shrinking. They believe in that for full recovery. So we went through and she, and she said, so you mean that that healing was provided for me at the cross as far as God's concerned that I am healed? Now this is a bit of a tilt. But then said, yes, that's what it says. And she turned to two people where it says, by stripes you were. And she went, I'd never seen that before. I've been around the Pentecostal church for decades, I've never seen that it says, by his stripes I was healed. And she said, so if I was healed, then I am healed. Now, you understand sometimes you don't feel forgiven. Anyone who goes through life not feeling forgiven, and you don't mind, sometimes you feel, but you don't mind standing up and saying, I'm forgiven. It says, by his stripes we were healed. And so after another half hour going through the scriptures, we prayed again, and then we left. It was about six weeks later. She kept seeing us every Sunday and then during the week. And she says, I'm standing on that promise. By his stripes, I was healed. I'm standing on that promise. By his stripes, I was healed. By his stripes, I was healed. I'm asking you to get ready now, to get ready to take this communion. Whatever your need is, if he's paid for it, you can receive it now. Then one, were you at the Wednesday night meeting when she came in? She came in and look was different. She had this sort of smile on her face, you know. You ever seen that when people have received? People, you know how victory is always good once you're walking in it? <laughs> when you're claiming in it and going by faith. Like, and she, she came in and smiled on her face and we all did a little share round. And, and she did a share round. Same thing happened to me a few weeks ago with this, this person that said, I had my oncologist test. I said, how was it? Totally gone. No sign. It was stage four prostate cancer. The oncologist looked at me and said, I don't know how this happened. You dodged a bullet. All right? Anyway, she walks in, had this smile on her face. She's sitting down and she's walking in. You know, some people are like death warmed up. You know, but she's walking in. She sat down and she said, I went for my blood test. You remember that? 
I had my the doctor test my blood. So what did he say? He said, you've got no lead in your blood. No lead. None. I said, what did the doctor say? Said, Were you at that meeting? And what did the doctor say? She said, the doctor said, this just can't happen. I'm telling you, it can happen. I'm telling you that surely he bore our infirmities and carried our diseases. I'm telling you that shame, that guilt, that depression, that, that uh, defeat, all taken for us. And we need to judge it rightly and wisely. Jesus said, "On take your bread. Jesus said that, uh, well, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11. It's very nice of you ladies to put out enough bread for the birds. <laughs> he said, on the night when Christ was betrayed, he took bread. And I, this is how I do it, so you're welcome to do it. He said, this is my body that is broken for you. This is what I do. I say, thank you, Jesus, that your back was beaten. I said, thank you, Jesus, that your hands was pierced. I said, thank you, Jesus, that by your stripes I am healed and my guilt and my shame were taken by you. Eat the bread. in like manner because we just don't it's not just forgiveness of sins it's not just victory it's not just healing take it now take healing thank you for healing my body thank you for clearing my mind thank you for forgiving my sins but then Jesus said, in a like manner, after they'd finished eating, he took the cup. He said, this now is the cup of the new covenant, which is unfettered, unearned, undeserved, but bold access to the presence of God to ask your Father for whatever you want, which he gives to everything you need. You, you, know, you only want what his will is for you. There's no business wanting anything else. And knowing that you have it, that's the new covenant. And so he took the wine, he drank it. Thank you, Father, that we have access to you. Access to the new covenant. Thank you, Father, that today we've looked at your word. We've judged your body correctly. What Jesus did for us on that cross the forgiveness of sin, the freedom from eternal death, the freedom from shame, the health for our body, the joy, the life, and the provision that we have in Christ. And we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen.